Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade. I am a mindset coach, personal trainer, specializing in HA and ED recovery. And today I am overjoyed once again to be joined by the fabulous Jacqueline Byrne. And we're here to talk about part two of body image. So if you haven't already gone back, or oh, maybe just a handful of episodes where we spoke about our body image and our perception of it, today we're going to be diving into how we actually feel like the emotional state towards our perception of our body but first up Jacqueline thank you so much for joining us today and I just can't wait for what we are about to experience in the next half hour. Thank you so much for having me back Jade it's something I look forward to so much and I found our last conversation really riveting it brought to light so many topics that are controversial even in this space confusing and I'm really glad we got to begin the conversation around those ideas and I'm so keen to unpack that more today. And as you said, controversy with some of these elements and it's actually something we have decided we'll take a greater dive into in some future episodes, but that idea of, well, what do we strive for once we've had this epiphany of perhaps what I was striving for led me in the wrong direction and, and what does it mean to show up as myself in this world that apparently has brainwashed me into being myself. Um, so everybody stay tuned for that conversation because it is definitely up and coming. But for today, part two, we're talking about the way we feel about our bodies and how that, I guess, implicates our eating disorder recovery. And I guess to add some context, when I was in the midst of my HA and my ED, my emotions towards my body were very intense. So feelings of disgust like I remember if I perceived that I had gained weight or my body had changed it wasn't just like a, oh you know one of those things whoopsies which is what I would witness friends and family um, do if they gained a, a kilo or if their pants felt a bit tired it was very much a neutral if not a nothing it was just a general comment that they would have and then they would move on with their day and it meant nothing to them but then I would sit there and if I witnessed such a thing to do with my body, whether it be a perceived weight change, whether it happened or not, um, clothes fitting tighter, I just had a fat day. Um, this feeling of disgust would completely take over my mind where even if I wasn't looking in a mirror, I would just have this almost like demon energy talking to me like, this is disgusting. I can't believe you've done this to yourself. This is pathetic. What are you going to do fix it? And it was always this very nasty tone that was never well, you know well maybe you're enjoying life a little bit or the body change it was never gentle and it was always followed by consequence what are you going to do to fix it and um punishment almost like I remember going into workouts not being like oh I'm so happy to be there this is great it's like well you've got to fix this because oh, this is inconceivable and we're not going to tolerate it like it was so cutthroat in all of the years of experience with working with women in eating disorder recovery, I'm getting tongue-tied, sorry, have you found that there's some sort of commonality between women experiencing such extreme feelings where it, we can't let it go? Like, and it is an extreme feeling of disgust. It's not just like, oh, dear. It's, it's intense. I'm really glad you brought up the example of how friends and families, presumably without 
uh, eating disorders or body image distress may notice weight fluctuations. They may notice changes in their body, even even experiences like aging or other body image based shifts that they they are conscious of but it might be registered more like a haircut that they don't love like oh I think the hairdresser went a bit short here or I thought I'd try a fringe I don't actually love it I'll just grow it out like in a few months it'll um rebalance itself hair is going to grow like this isn't a permanent situation there isn't a high level of charge in the meaning of it whereas for someone with body image distress there is and it might be also a, a bit of a chicken or egg phenomena because the development of the eating disorder might have come because of intense emotions that someone didn't know what else to do with mm-hmm. so that there was there there was an overwhelming feeling um that might have even been suppressed that someone didn't know how else to cope with or how to survive it and completely unconsciously they became interested in ways of creating change in the aesthetic of their body or pursuing weight loss that just made things feel better and maybe Mm -hmm. it distracted them maybe the process and the physiological components of pursuit of weight loss was quite numbing and disorienting which felt preferable for their previous state and it's somewhere along the line there was a coupling of those two concepts of this incredible self-disgust, self-rejection, dislike of self and the acceptability of my body. Those two mm-hmm. concepts got fused so that a comment like if I was asking someone how they felt in terms of how they emotionally felt, they might say something like, I just feel fat. And we, we sometimes say in the eating disorder recovery world, like fat isn't a feeling. We've been taught, like the, the shorthand of that might be, well, fat is, for this person, it means feeling disgusting. It means feeling self-rejection. It means feeling uncomfortable. It means feeling greedy or um, morally depleted in some way. But it's, it's a bit like saying how, to someone how they feel emotionally and they answer cold, like my temperature is, is cold, that it's confusing a physiological state with an emotional experience. So it, it is a very powerful connection between those two and one of the trickiest parts of recovery is disentangling those two experiences so that emotion can be experienced as emotion and our ideas about our body can be separated away from that and not, not infused with the meaning of that. I like how you brought up how, I guess, those original feelings of disgust come into play. Like, is it from a passing comment where someone has made you feel like you are disgusting or you feel like they're judging you in a particular light? Or perhaps, you know, it's also common where people might start a fitness journey and they kind of, their self-talk to get them going is like, come on, you know, you feel disgusting right now, so let's just go feel better. And it doesn't have the grab that it ends up having at the start. It's kind of like, you know, a pep talk, let's say, and perhaps there isn't the wisdom of the kind of language that you're using actually has a ripple effect 
if you keep saying it and saying it and saying it. And I often describe to the ladies that I work with, our mind sometimes is very much like a genie. Whatever you tell it, it will go, your wish is my command. So if you're consistently and I guess innocently going, come on, you know, you're sick of feeling this way. You want to have the bikini body. You want to feel da-da-da-da-da instead of feeling disgusting and gross and whatever, um, that sometimes even just that self-talk that at one point, it got you to a healthy version of yourself. Like perhaps it actually was getting you through to behaviors that were serving you really, really well that then turned into your identity where you actually believed you were disgusting, even though the behaviors were meant to be the escape of being disgusting. Absolutely. It's (laughs) when you were saying that what came to mind and I, I do have before used the reference of a cult um, to compare to an eating disorder because I think there's a lot of similarities in those experiences. If there was like a fundamentalist religious ideology that one came across and when they first entered it, it felt quite exciting or comforting or really hopeful about what that what those ideas could bring into their life. But after staying a while, it starts to download a bit differently. It starts to become a programming of what it means if you're not this also and what it means about other people if they don't follow along with what we believe now. And this increasing, which anything that's evangelical tends to do is is separate and create dichotomous thinking, like really black and white thinking around what's okay and what's not okay. I really hear that in what um, you're offering there, that there's the, there is the potential of something like trauma setting the scene for an eating disorder. And then instead of realizing that it's our trauma or even our emotions, mm. we think it's our body. That's the problem. We mm. think it's our body that's making us feel like this. But maybe another entry point is quite innocently being drawn into behaviors that, seemingly would improve our well-being improve our quality of life but there being an inherent momentum and, and some of us are more susceptible to that momentum and obsessionality and perfectionism than others for a number of reason reasons once we're on that train we end up being in a totally different location where the the thinking around what is acceptable completely changes and the the bars the standards completely change so that not obtaining an incredibly high level of fitness which on entry into a fitness journey wouldn't have been an expectation now is a non-negotiable now is something that um, would feel very distressing if it wasn't maintained I think that's sort of where the spiral begins though isn't it it's uh, it's sort of like an elective behavior at the start that turns into that non-negotiable and often when we have that turning point we don't even witness that it has in fact turned until I guess perhaps you've got the day where you can't go to the gym or perhaps you've got to go away for a work trip and there isn't facilities to accommodate for your training or eating like weddings and events that kind of disrupt you um I can't help but wonder if there is a red like let's say someone is listening to this podcast who perhaps they're aware of their thoughts and behaviors, but they're not quite convinced they've got an issue with their body image because everything that they're doing is backed with a good intention. I'm just a healthy fit person. Um, like let's say there's no HA 
it's just, I don't know, there's an inkling that maybe I react differently to friends and family and it, I don't know, it could be off. Do you find that people who are experiencing eating disorders, they do tend to have those extreme emotions such as disgust or or shame or self-loathing towards their body um, and often they find it difficult to locate the tools required to kind of dismantle these emotions and instead they become accepted because the acceptance of them also fuels the behavior because it's like well I can't see myself any other way so I just have to keep doing this whereas perhaps somebody who um, might have gone on a 12-week challenge or a fitness journey or something like that and then all of a sudden they've gone on holiday in, to Europe <laughs> right? and they're having their pizza and the pasta and they're noticing their body changing because they're not doing their 12-week boot camp anymore but they still might be critical they still might go oh gosh you know I really I really liked how I was six weeks ago or perhaps I did feel a bit better when I, I had a flatter stomach but the the acceptance of it doesn't shatter their reality. It's more of a, I was in this season and now I'm in this one and perhaps I'll go back to that season when I'm home versus perhaps if you're in the midst of an eating disorder where these strong emotions give you no other pathway because it's like, well, I, well, actually I remember saying this myself, there is no way I can be happy in a bigger body. I can't thrive I can't have friends I, I can't survive in a bigger body and I remember having that belief system and hand on heart that was true to me there is no way I could possibly look any larger and be okay I would not survive it and then obviously slingshot forwards I'm in a much bigger body than I ever would have possibly given myself permission to have and yet I'm I'm just as happy but the work is very much required at the start because that permission slip doesn't seem achievable. Yeah, so well, so well said, Jade. It really highlights why one of the criteria for looking at clinically relevant body image distress is adaptability. So if someone is not going out to dinner with their friends because they've got to get to the gym that night and they're maybe not even going to Europe because that would interrupt their routine or they're not sure how they would maintain their fitness while they were traveling or what the difference in food would look like for them. It really, it really sets off red flags for the situation. And I'm grateful for the point you made prior to that as well, where body image is so complicated and it doesn't always look like someone coming into the room saying I feel fat and they're not in an objectively big body or um, I only like my body like this and I have to do this training regime to maintain it. It can, it can be very tricky even for the person experiencing it that I've seen so many people really enjoying their body and feeling attractive and feeling exactly as you said like this is just the lifestyle I lead I maybe I'm in a, a health industry a fitness industry it's just what my friends my partner we all like live like this there's no issue with it and um and it's not that they have negative thoughts about their body particularly at all but an important thought experiment in those scenarios is to, to see what it would look like if there was change in the body beyond that person's control. So if they 
developed a medical issue or they had an injury or wanted to pursue pregnancy, what would it look like if their body did change, if they just woke up 15 kilos heavier? Would that be earth-shattering like you were describing for yourself and um, many of us have felt like that because it becomes it becomes ensconced with identity. It's like I wouldn't even be me. Like I wouldn't know who that person was. Like everything I value is represented in how I show up physically and if that's taken away, it's almost like an annihilation because that's mm-hmm. it's everything I know of how to exist in the world. And if it feels like that, like the the truth may be if we if we did a survey socially of how the average Australian would feel waking up 15 kilos heavier, that there wouldn't be an overwhelmingly positive response. Mm-hmm. That many people would feel negatively about that, overwhelmed by that. Um, but there would be a continuum of um, you know, beyond the um concern of the just bear with me on the, the fantasy piece of how that actually happens overnight. But if if there wasn't any concern as to how that weight was gained so quickly, it's oh gosh, like this is it's a bit harder to move around. I feel less limber and agile. Um, my clothes don't fit. Like there would be practical issues and with comfort and 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 maybe fitness and health that people would be genuinely concerned about. But the level of distress, or they had to take a course of medication that was associated with significant weight gain, but that's what they needed to do to address a particular health issue. Mm-hmm. It would be doable. It would be a, a shame, but it would be doable. Where and then there's another percentage of the population for which it would be utter panic and fear and something that was so unacceptable and so made life, made showing up in a body that did have that change in weight and presentation feel like a torture and that's mm. that's important to think about as well because otherwise we might genuinely feel quite good about how we look and feel quite positive um, in how we show up and that doesn't actually mean that we don't have body image struggles. Mm-hmm. I really like that example of like magic wand gets waved and you wake up 15 kilos mm-hmm. heavier, the, the emotions that come with it or I guess the exit strategy that comes with it as well because what I think of as you you were explaining that is um, my past self let's say would have woke up and almost wanted to get scissors and just cut everything off like it would have been such an uncomfortable distress that sorry um, that I probably would have had that visual like obviously I wouldn't have acted on it but I would have had that visual in my head of like just get it off because I can't breathe I can't like I, I can't do this, whereas I think about perhaps um, some of my my girlfriends who are much, like they still have health and fitness goals and things like that, but I'd imagine if they woke up 15 kilos heavier, as you sort of said, it's like, oh, this is a bit of a pity. Um, I think I'll order salad for lunch. I'll, I might go to the gym. Like they still have a plan to change because they have a way they do want to show up, but it's not a, it has to be fixed right now because nothing else is going to work. Like, and the the intensity of that is so different. And personally, if I'm being honest, if I was put in that situation, despite doing all the mindset work and feeling quite happy within myself and my body, I still do think I fall somewhere in the middle if that magic one scenario was to have occurred. Um, And I think that kind of just highlights that if we have had an eating disorder or body dysmorphia in the past, that it's almost like the garden that needs continual weeding. Um, I would 
consider myself completely recovered. But at the same time, I still know there's wiggle room that, as I said, like one of my friends would just be like, oh, you know, where I would, I really think I'd be somewhere in the middle there. And I just want to highlight that because it's it's an ongoing journey and it's okay to not think you're perfect or like you've got it completely down pat. Um, and even, I guess, in pregnancy at the moment, you know, my body's changing so drastically again. And I often find myself utilizing tools that I used in like HA and ED recovery because uh, body changes are, are a challenging thing. But I guess leading back to that garden scenario is that often we need to do an audit on the thoughts that are coming up, the emotions that are presenting themselves and not just accepting it, that it just is, but instead going, well, what weeds do we need to pluck out? And perhaps what seeds do we need to plant for flowers to grow? Because I, I truly believe our mind is like a garden and that when they're in the depths of things, we can feel like we're shackled in a dungeon, but the reality is we have this beautiful garden and we are, I'm trying to think of the the profession that does garden, a gardener, <laughs> um, you know, it's quite simple, isn't it? But as in like, we actually have that power if we put in a little bit of time and energy to healing so that we go from this, I'm the shackled prisoner of my mind to I'm aware that there's some weeds, there's some flowers and I've got some seeds and it's, I'm kind of the architect of this scenario. And I think that's really empowering them. Like it's, it's not, you're no good and it's not that you're perfect it's it's some middle ground of what maintenance are you going to continually put in to make sure you're showing up as your best self knowing that it might be ongoing that's that's really lovely and I think so valuable to share the the transparent experience because body body changes can be so startling and pregnancy is another good example um, where things will change quickly and it can be revealing as to how that lands with us and it it takes me back to something that we we touched on in our last episode on body image where we were talking about whether caring about how you look is whether that's it's possible for that to be on on the same track as recovery and being informed about diet culture being informed about the beauty industry and the the brainwashing as such that most of us in the western world receive about how we have to look and what we have to do to attain an acceptable appearance and then realizing that some of those ideas for for some people have contributed to disordered eating and body image dissatisfaction coming out the other end, sometimes it can feel like there's a pressure to completely divorce those ideas that you um, can't dabble in expressing yourself through fashion or putting on makeup or because that would sort of be dancing with the devil and that would be even quite literally supporting industries that have done harm. And there, there are some that take a very strong stance in this in the recovery sector and I do I do understand that position and it's um it's it's very complex but what you're saying here I think really speaks to that gray area where there is still I, I do think within that conversation we've somewhat thrown the baby out with the bathwater to say 
just totally abandon ship. Like don't care about your body at all. Don't worry about how you're presenting. Just focus on everything else about you and almost pretend that the physical component isn't a part of this. But our bodies aren't our bodies aren't a neutral or a um, non-participating factor in our existence. Our bodies really are part of our story. Our bodies represent a huge amount of how we show up and, and what we are. And we can't really step out of that meaning. Like even if we are trying to opt out of fashion culture, we're, we're choosing to wear something or not choosing to wear something is also another powerful statement. Like you can't but help um, represent something with the choices of how you clothe yourself, how you do your hair or don't do your hair. It's it's inevitably impregnated with meaning. And to deny that the body is a part of our story and a part of ourself, I think is also very dismissive of people whose bodies have been very limiting in their experience, whether that's a body that is differently abled or a body that, for example, has visible scarring or presents differently to say to someone that's had that lived experience, don't worry, your body's neutral, your body doesn't matter, Just it's about your soul, it's about the qualities that you bring to the world, it's about your values, really dismisses a huge part of their lived experience and, and can be quite a privileged chance to take in that sense as well. When we're talking about these more extreme emotions around body perception, if someone's listening going, oh, I I feel that way about my body sometimes and perhaps if I go to the gym I feel better about it so then I don't really think about it much because I can fix it up really soon. But let's say someone's starting to show, but maybe the way I'm fixing my thoughts isn't a long-term strategy. What's perhaps something our listeners could do to start acting on these feelings of disgust and perhaps learn how to simmer them down a little bit to perhaps a tolerable level of discomfort or a, you know, a short spurt of unhappiness, but it's, it's something that is like this too shall pass, I guess, comes to mind. Like, you know, I'm, I'm witnessing this, I'm experiencing it, but you know, the, the world's going to keep turning. And I can go to work and I can see my friends and I can still have my lunch um, versus perhaps not feeling like you've got those options when emotions present themselves. But how can we perhaps begin to just go one level down on those strong emotions? What tends to happen when someone's been using disordered eating and exercise to manage their emotions? And as you said, it's important to realise that's that's a pretty small toolkit that there'll be so many circumstances where that won't be possible and then what do we do and to just at least have more options with you is a is a really sensible thing to invest in but what tends to happen then is that one's threshold for discomfort really shrinks because we're not we're no longer practicing sitting with uncomfortable feelings or developing our self-soothing skills, our internal relationship, the way we talk to ourselves, we just go onto the automatic response of I need to go for a run, I need to get to the gym, or I'll think about 
the what next workout I'm going to do and thinking about that calms me down until I can actually do it. And that's how I respond to the emotion. So when that's happening, we're really shrinking that capacity of, of just actually being able to sit with ourselves. So that's the first step that I would encourage someone to come back to in terms of thinking strategically about what it is they're actually doing is, is not just sitting with emotions for the sake of it, but it's actually stretching your threshold to be able to notice how you feel and respond to how you feel without just having to go into exercise. Mm-hmm. For anyone that has been in this behaviour, there's likely a significant amount of dissociation that's been at play as well because to override probably what your body would be signalling at least some of the time where it would prefer to rest or prefer to do different types of movement, we must have a disconnection and certainly to restrict food, to um, go into a lot of eating disorder behaviours, we kind of have to not be there to be able to do that to ourselves. So this is also a population which are not only probably going to have quite a tight window of tolerance to their emotions, but also be masters at evacuating the whole situation. And so both those things being practiced together, which we could um, we could talk about in a lot more detail of what that looks like and what that means, but staying staying with yourself and learning how to feel, like actually feel emotions, again, on a sensory level, like feel your heart beating, feel your stomach churning, feel the sensations in your body without having as much fear of them, just like you would feel temperature changing in your body. It's it's information and you might sometimes act on that information, but there need not be fear in noticing, like I'm actually warming up a little bit or I'm becoming my back's starting to ache a little bit if I've been in this position too long. It's just a sensation in our body that's giving us information and emotion can be experienced similarly. Um, and it's actually often more helpful to think of it as sensation and name it as such. Like I'm feeling a bit prickly through my chest and my stomach or I've got a lot of heat rising through my torso rather than I feel really anxious. I'm so anxious today because as soon as we've named it as an emotion, we then have a story around it. We might be judging it. We might be more fearful of it. So that would be something that listeners could begin to experiment with. That's really helpful. And as you were describing that, I thought uh, just how sort of cheeky that disordered self can be because you you mentioned how you might have this feeling of um, disgust or shame or, or something around your body but then you've got this like intensity of oh, I've got to get to the gym after after work but it can present itself as excitement you know like I can't wait to get there I can't wait to get there and if anyone says what are you doing after work I'm going to the gym and, and it actually is quite jolly mm-hmm. but then when you get to the core of the excitement it's it's a bit of a trickster because the reason you're so keen to get there is because you're going to correct this thing that has upset you earlier um and, you know, just on the sneakier side of things, is it's so easy for that to be seen as I'm motivated, I'm determined, or I'm just excited about the process because I, I feel empowered over the fact that I've noticed something and I now want to correct it. Um, but as you said, it's sort of like, well, let's say it was being perceived as excitement. If you had to perceive it longer than say you're waiting till 5.30, that's gym time. Let's say you had to wait till 5.30 a.m. Is it still excitement or does that change into 
hostility or nervousness or anxiety and and to that point how you said rather feeling what's in your body instead of labeling the emotion um I really do love that as a tool because I feel like as soon as we take on an emotion we also own it and make it ours and it doesn't have to be ours and I've I've heard a lot of clinicians kind of speak to this even when it comes to mental health and as I say this I'm like I feel another episode coming on but there's kind of a, a blessing and a curse in someone being diagnosed with an eating disorder because there's some part that I guess there's closure for my behavior but there's also a part of that gives permission to how the person's behaving because it's like well you have a disorder and there's like there's two schools of thought which I'm, I'm gonna zip it because I know we're running out of time but I just any sort of thoughts on on that idea of kind of mm-hmm. taking ownership of things when we can kind of see them from a, a physical sensation so therefore we can dismiss them rather than going I am this instead I'm just I'm feeling I've noticed I've observed the, the tone changes the perception of our, our reality really completely and like how many people would say I'm just an anxious person I've always been an anxious person mm-hmm. for example um really that being part of their identity rather than just my heart gets fluttery sometimes like all hearts mm-hmm. do or I have um waves come through my belly and uh, I have to sit with them sometimes or I choose to focus on my breath when that happens sets up a, a much more liberating narrative and I think there can mm-hmm. be there can be advantages absolutely in formal diagnosis and in using um, shorthand, like people know what anxiety is. If you say I've got waves in my belly, they may well not know what you mean. So there are advantages um, for simplicity and communication in that language as well. But I think you're touching on a very important point, and I would certainly love to unpack that further as well, that it sometimes just in the the optionality of the experience and it not being tied as much to who you are, there is more wiggle room to find yourself again. Mm. Um, just as you said that waves in your stomach, how most people will connect the dots as to what that means. It's so clever because um, I've never thought of it until you've just suggested it there. But if someone was to communicate that with me in context of a story, I would very much be able to pick up like, yeah. oh, that's stress or that's anxiety. Um, but we're communicating accurately without labeling something or or staying attached to it so I love that I've I've learned something new today so thank you so much for sharing that I'm sure the listeners have (laughs) found that really helpful too Um, but as cliche as it sounds time does fly when you're having fun Mm. and I can't believe we've just blasted through another podcast but Jacqueline thank you so so much for joining us again today and I can't wait to dive further into all of the other conversations we've got planned um everyone if you want to subscribe to the podcast or the youtube that would be amazing i'm going to pop all of jacqueline's details in the show notes as well as my own if you would like to reach out and connect um but for now thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one